the vaccine priority list. So this is approximately 320,000 workers. Frontline workers moving up the queue and how BC's timeline is speeding up. Variants on the rise. What we basically got is a huge exponential rise in variant and a kind of slow rollout of vaccine. Why this is not the time to let down your guard. And a frightening encounter for a Vancouver woman. He looked right in the camera multiple times. He didn't care at all. The stranger behind her and how she may not have been the first. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. It is the day hundreds of thousands of first responders, educators and essential service workers have been hoping for. They will no longer have to wait until their age group to get their COVID-19 vaccination. Richard Zussman tells us who will be getting their shots next month. They have been on the front line for a year. Now they're moving to the front of the line for the COVID-19 vaccine. Getting vaccine as quickly as possible into as many people as possible helps break those chains of transmission. Starting in April, the province will start vaccinating nearly 320,000 priority workers with the AstraZeneca vaccine. This includes first responders, childcare staff, postal workers, and K-12 education staff, including teachers. Teachers have been working under incredibly difficult and stressful circumstances. And so to hear the news that in April, in just a few short weeks, uh, they will be vaccinated is, you know, a big relief to everyone. It also includes many more, including bylaw officers and grocery store workers. Today's announcement comes as a great sense of relief for the anxiety that our members have been feeling. The province asking these workers do not call into the vaccination hotlines established for the age-based program. Now the challenge is prioritizing who amongst the priority groups will get the first shots. We're doing it uh, based on risk in, in many areas. So uh, we will be looking at targeting, for example, that we know where some of the hotspots are. The shots will be done at community pharmacies, vaccine centres or directly at workplaces. As for those not on the list, it includes hospitality workers, non-grocery retail staff and transit drivers. We're hopeful that as the science and more vaccines uh, points the need to it, that we'll see transit workers on that list. The province also providing an updated timeline for the age-based approach. The clinical extremely vulnerable will get their first dose either in March or early April. And then the goal by year is to vaccinate everyone 79 to 65 in April, 64 to 44 in late April, early May, and 44 to 18 in late May and June, with the booking website operational April 6th. We will close down those uh, five call centers and those numbers, and we will move to one provincial call center and one um, very robust online booking platform. But until then, it will be done over the phone. Starting on Saturday, 79-year-olds can call in by health authority, moving down by age during the week. All of this, just a list. The hard work underway of actually getting the vaccine in arms of every British Columbian who wants it. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Now, B.C. ferry workers were also left off the list of vaccine priority groups, despite dealing with three outbreaks right now. The Ferry Workers Union says there are nine confirmed cases in Horseshoe Bay and smaller outbreaks in Tawasson, along with one case aboard the Northern Expedition in Prince Rupert. Our ferry workers are working in close proximity together to ensure the safety of the traveling public. And today's announcement felt like a kick in the teeth. 
Many of our members have been calling and writing us, telling us that they feel betrayed by this decision. Well, Keith Baldry joins us live now with more on the vaccinations. As the pace picks up, Keith, many are wondering mm-hmm. about restrictions and when we might see those eased. Yeah, that came up a number of times in the briefing today with Dr. Bonnie Henry and Dr. Penny Ballum. Uh, and again, it, you can detect a buoyancy out there in public opinion as literally we see thousands of people getting vaccinated. But that does not mean you're going to see a lot of changes to the rules. Uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry puts a lot of faith in good weather, uh, good weather not quite here enough. And she says, basically, we still have to maintain our social distancing and those health protocols. So don't get uh, expecting those health restrictions to ease before two months are up. There's going to be very little change in the next two months. But the more people that are immunized, the more, whether it's in the workplace stream or whether it's in our our main age-based stream, that gets us that much closer. So these things uh, work together to help keep us, get us all there. So by the end of the next two months, Sophie, we could very well be hitting the 2 million mark in terms of people vaccinated. And again, we want to vaccinate 4.3 million people. So these numbers are going to rapidly escalate. So I think indeed the restrictions will ease in the summer, but likely not in the early spring. But reason to be positive for sure. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. All right. Let's take a look at today's numbers now. We have 622 new cases. That brings BC's total to just over 90,000. Almost 5,000 of those cases are currently active. Eight more people have died. That means we've now lost 1,419 people to complications of the virus. And on Wednesday, 21,444 doses of vaccine were administered. Now, while the spread of highly transmissible COVID variants is being watched very closely by BC health officials, one UBC expert warns the threat still isn't being treated seriously enough and that any further moves to ease restrictions right now could have severe consequences. Ted Chernecki reports. Not to make light of its seriousness, but for illustrative purposes, the fight against COVID is being described as something of a horse race. And this is a race where we know one of the horses is a thoroughbred and doubling every week. And so that's a really fast spread. And our vaccine rollout is more of a workhorse. You got her? Yep. The vaccine rollout, a workhorse, slow and steady, and quickly falling behind the spread of the more dangerous UK variant in BC. On February 22nd, there were 81 known cases. A week later, 137. In another seven days, it almost tripled to 363. On March 15th, it nearly triples again. The next day, this past Tuesday, it's 921. That's a tenfold increase in less than a month. The question, are these new cases or variants replacing regular COVID in our daily totals? It's mostly replacement. But that's not to say that that's not going to change if we're not careful. Because we do know we have to be more meticulous about preventing transmission because this one tends to be easier for somebody to spread it to others. It is more aggressive and it also is causing more symptoms and more hospitalizations and deaths. So it's a re- there's a real reason to be concerned. That's why we shouldn't expect much easing of restrictions for at least the next couple of months. You shouldn't be that concerned by the time we get to the summer. But what we basically got is a huge exponential rise in variant and a kind of slow rollout of vaccines where we are covering people and by the summer we'll be all right. And this is the virus spike protein here. Alberta has a similar warning about the rise of the UK variant. We have seen cases recently where variant COVID-19 
has been transmitted outdoors when people are not distanced or masked. So please continue to apply precautions even outside. Yes, relief is in sight, but if you're planning on getting very social in the coming weeks, as they used to say in the old Wild West, you just might have to hold your horses. <laughs> Ted Chernecki, Global News. Despite all the concern about St. Patrick's Day, Vancouver police say it wasn't much different from a typical Friday or Saturday night in the city. That's thanks in part to 8 p.m. restrictions on alcohol sales. The police say there were no major incidents at bars or restaurants and that those patrons were good at following COVID protocols. However, police did have to respond to a couple of complaints about condo parties in violation of the public health orders. And one man was fined $2,300 for hosting a gathering in an apartment on Jervis Street. A Vancouver woman out running errands found herself in a terrifying situation. A strange man following her for 30 minutes at least, stopping when she stopped, turning the same corners she turned. She videotaped a portion of the encounter and posted it on social media. How it touched a nerve with so many women and what Vancouver police are saying about the incident next on the News Hour. Bridging communities. The proposal to create a new park in North Vancouver across Highway 1. How it would work later on the News Hour. And beyond a bird's eye view, a look at severe storms pushing across the deep south from the edge of space. Right now, though, a Vancouver woman is speaking out tonight after capturing disturbing video of a man who appeared to follow her through the streets of the downtown area. Nadia Stewart is live in Vancouver. Nadia, the victim says this stalking incident went on for a very long time. Yeah, Sophie, and Jamie Coote says she has already heard from four other women who say they were followed by the same man. Now, Vancouver police are investigating. What was supposed to have been a quick trip to the store turned into the nightmare Jamie Coots could not break free from. So I was walking and I could feel about two feet behind me that someone was there. And so I actually just stepped off the path to let them pass, but they didn't. That's when Coots pulled out her cell phone and began recording the man seen here in this video, walking only a few feet behind her. All of this happening early Wednesday evening at around 5.30 in downtown Vancouver in the areas of Chinatown and Tinseltown. No, he looked right in the camera multiple times. He didn't care at all. Coot says she was followed for several blocks around and around the neighborhood. Hey, do you mind if I, guys, if I sit with you guys? This guy's literally been following me in circles yeah, that's cool. for like 40 minutes and I've been recording it. Yeah. Eventually, she made her way to the skate park near Union Street where there was safety in numbers. Her apparent stalker backing off once questioned by someone else at the park. The incident has coots on edge. I live in a small neighborhood where I run all my errands. Um, I spend a lot of time at home because of COVID. And so when I get to outside to breathe fresh air and go for a walk, I really enjoy that time. I've heard from people that he's been seen in this area quite a bit. So I'm positive I will run into him again. Vancouver police are now investigating. We will look for other incidents that may have reported, been reported to either the Vancouver Police Department or other police agencies to determine whether or not there are links. As there are concerns, this could happen again. It's pretty sad because this happens to a lot of women. It's why Coots decided not to remain silent.
we're told to go out and and carry things to protect ourselves and not wear headphones when we're walking and not walk alone and all these things. And and now this has happened during the day. All right, Nadia, Jamie Coots has another concern about this man that potentially elevates this threat even further. Yeah, Sophie, in in the video that's posted on Facebook, it looks at one point as though he pulls something out of his satchel. Now, people on Facebook have said it looks like a switchblade. No confirmation on that as yet, but you can bet that will be part of the investigation. Back to you. So frightening. All right, thanks for that. Nadia Stewart reporting in Vancouver. Vancouver police have released video in the hope the public will help them identify the suspect in an apparently unprovoked attack. It happened at 4.20 in the afternoon, Tuesday, January 19th, near the Orpheum Theater at Seymour and Smythe. Police say the 22-year-old woman was simply walking her dog when she was attacked, punched in the face, seemingly at random. While the victim was traumatized, she wasn't seriously hurt. The suspect is a white man, about 5 foot 10, with short white hair. He's believed to be about 50 years old. If you recognize him, you are asked to call VPD or Crime Stoppers. This incident's very concerning to us because it appears to have been random and completely unprovoked. We don't know um, what the circumstances were. We don't know exactly why this happened. And we would like to speak to anybody who has any information about this uh, so that we can fully understand what happened and complete the investigation and understand what the suspect's motivation was. Up next, a massage therapist under investigation. I had three other women private message me telling me I know who this person is. With multiple complainants and a nine-month investigation, why he's still on the job. Plus, a bushfire in Burnaby leads to a tragic discovery. Counterflow is out and traffic is moving well both ways at the Massey Tunnel. Keep in mind, further south on Highway 99, there is overnight construction and lane closures near Ladner Trunk between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Is buying a home still possible? A CIBC mortgage advisor will show you how to make your ambition real. Plus, get up to $3,000 cash back. Conditions apply. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. An ordinarily quiet park in Burnaby has become a crime scene after a burning body was discovered early this morning. At this point, there's no word on the victim's identity. But as Rumina Dea reports, the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team says it appears the deceased is a woman. The burned remains of the victim rolled away by the coroner Thursday afternoon. I've lived here 45 years. We've never had an incident like this. Burnaby residents in this tiny enclave stunned when they found out the body was discovered next to a playground in Green Tree Village Park. My daughter, and she said, Dad, I was sitting on the swings last night. So she's a little bit uh, upset about that, I think. Just before 2 a.m., firefighters received a call about a bush and grass fire, says the assistant fire chief. When crews arrived, RCMP were already here. Uh, A little nervous, (laughs) a little disturbing, actually. The priority for homicide investigators is to identify the remains. They believe the victim is a woman, but they can't say for sure because the body was burned. That's that's terrible, and the fact that it may be even a female, that sort of uh, makes me wonder, you know, what's, what's going on. 
questions swirling in this close-knit community. What's the motive? How old is the victim? Did they die here or was the body dumped? Well, that's certainly something that our investigators are looking into right now. Uh, as I mentioned, it is uh, incredibly early in this investigation. No suspects, says IHIT. Investigators say it's crucial they speak to anyone who was near the park overnight. They are also on the hunt for CCTV footage or dash cam video. Romina Dea, Global News. Vancouver police have identified the victim in the city's third homicide of the year. Police say 24-year-old Shania Paulson was shot inside the Arco Hotel on the downtown east side just before 4 a.m. on Wednesday. No arrests have been made. Anyone with information about Paulson's death is asked to contact the VPD's homicide unit or Crime Stoppers. Well, we now know what the chief of the new Surrey Police Service is earning. The Surrey Police Board providing the information about Norm Lipinski's salary. His base salary is $285,000 a year. And the board says his potential rewards could be nearly $335,000 a year. The board says the chief and three deputy chiefs aren't the highest paid in the country, but they aren't the lowest either. By comparison, according to the National Police Federation, an assistant RCMP commissioner equal to a chief would make about 220,000 a year if achieving all benchmarks. Vancouver's police chief for the year ending 2019 made 363,000. A Pender Island woman launched a formal complaint about a massage therapist after she says she was subjected to a bizarre session. She wants to know why he has been allowed to continue practicing during long delays in the investigation into the incident. Kylie Stanton explains. I haven't had a massage in almost three years because I can't bring myself to go. What started out with an appointment to seek some pain relief she says, turned into a whole new kind of agony. Imagine how you would feel laying naked on a table, knowing that you're all alone. And this man can do whatever he wants. Shannon Broad says she doesn't have to imagine because she lived it. In May of 2017, she arranged to meet a massage therapist here at the Bishop Coleman Memorial Health Center on Pender Island after hours. She says she had seen him once before, so didn't think much of it. He's an RMT working in a clinical setting. Yes, it's after hours, but things should be fine. Broad says things were not fine. She claims the massage therapist, True Hartwood, began discussing issues he was having with his ex-wife before moving on to explain what a good lover he was, describing in detail the things he would do for a partner. Yeah, so I just froze up and waited for him to be done. While Broad says there was no physical element to his advances, she was still shaken. She kept the experience to herself until two years later, when she shared only surface details in a thread about toxic masculinity on the island's online forum. Within an hour, she says others came forward with similar claims. I had three other women private message me, telling me I know who this person is, named him, and said I know because it happened to me too. One of the other women, who did not want to be identified out of concern going public would affect other parts of her life, told Global News she too experienced the behaviour. It was a, a creepy thing to go through. At least three of the women, all who say they have never met, filed separate complaints with the College of Massage Therapists of British Columbia. 
In June, the college confirmed it had received the complaints, and the investigation process got underway. On November 9th, the college sent an update, saying it had not reached a resolution, but would do so by January 8th. On that date, another update, but again no decision had been made. One was expected on February 22nd. When that letter came, it read, The Inquiry Committee has not reached a disposition in this matter. The investigation of this matter will be suspended temporarily for 30 days. They're in a position of authority, and that needs to be taken seriously. When Global News got a hold of Hartwood to respond to the allegations, he said he was unable to comment during an ongoing investigation. According to the college's website, he is not listed among therapists under suspension or restrictions. I feel like there's a danger in in the community among us. I'm going to say it, it's terrifying. It's terrifying thinking that there's other women in my community that might be sitting where I'm sitting right now, and nothing's being done about it. According to the Ministry of Health, work is underway to improve the timelines of these investigations. Last summer, a steering committee provided a series of recommendations, stating timely investigations and conclusions of complaints are important to ensuring public safety and confidence in the regulation of health professionals. But even that's a waiting game. None of the recommendations have been implemented. As for the college, since Learning Global News was doing this story, it has contacted the complainants, despite the 30-day suspension, letting them know it will be meeting to make a decision in early April. I just hope that the college understands how much pain this has caused. For Broad, it's the kind that's so much more difficult to treat. They just wanted to feel better. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Pender Island. No closure for families of the victims of Flight 752. The worst thing is that this uh, crime uh, stay without any answer. Iran's final report into that deadly plane crash leaves loved ones wanting. Plus... God bless America, they're coming to our rescue. The U.S. set to send more than a million vaccine doses up north. There are still questions that need to be answered here. This was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. How do you grow as a human being if you're not going to open your ears and listen? After another busy afternoon commute, traffic has finally eased off eastbound on Highway 1 through the Burnaby Lake stretch. Just expect some minor congestion from time to time at the merges like Kensington and Wellington. Time to renew your home insurance. Switch to BCAA for local knowledge, customized coverage, and valuable ways to save. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. More questions than answers after the final report into the downing of Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752 last year. Dozens of Canadians died when their plane was shot down by the Iranian military. Iranian investigators blame human error. But as Paul Johnson reports, families of the victims are left wondering why the tragedy happened. If a final report on an aviation disaster is meant to deliver some kind of closure, those who lost loved ones in the shootdown of flight PS752 last year feel the Iranian government's explanation is inadequate, and they're not surprised. We were sure that the real answer will not come out. Kay Esmailpour was friends with Port Coquitlam's Ardalan Ebnodin Hamidi and his family. All three were killed when the Iranian military says it mistook the Boeing 737 for a hostile aircraft and shot it down minutes after it took off from Tehran. 
This particular flight was so packed with Canadians and people with ties to Canada that this was a de facto Canadian tragedy as well. Iranian-Canadian community, families, family of the victim, and everyone is waiting for a real answer and demanding for justice. After initially denying they'd shot the plane down, Iran said one of its missileers had fired by mistake and without authorization from his commander. That it happened because the launch system had recently been moved and not properly set up. And that all of this happened at a time when Iran was expecting an imminent attack from the United States. Canadian aviation experts who've reviewed it say that explanation is plausible but falls short of adequately explaining the failure in command and control and why the airspace was even open to commercial jets given the situation. Without this, how can the international civil aviation community be reassured that such a tragic error won't happen again? Knowing that steps are being taken to prevent a repeat of this tragedy would offer at least some solace. Bigger questions about justice and accountability for those involved are also reasonable expectations, though few expect that to happen. The worst thing is that this uh, crime uh, stay without any answer. Paul Johnson, Global News. South of our border, the country that was hit hardest during the pandemic is now in the throes of a final push to exit it. U.S. President Biden's plan to administer 100 million shots in 100 days could happen almost 40 days early. And as Global's Reggie Cicchini reports, the country is expected to give Canada a helping hand in its vaccine efforts. With a vaccine powerhouse at the doorstep, Canada could soon benefit. As AstraZeneca awaits FDA approval, growing stockpiles will soon be released on a temporary basis. The uh, pandemic knows no borders, uh, and ensuring our neighbours can contain the virus is a mission-critical uh, step. The White House confirms Canada will net 1.5 million doses as part of a loan deal, which will be a boost to a struggling effort. God bless America, they're coming to our rescue. Thank God. Mexico will also benefit with more than 2 million doses. The plan, however, is not expected to get in the way of the president's domestic goals. Our first priority remains vaccinating the U.S. population. 12% of Americans have been vaccinated, a testament to science and determination. But the rising rate of vaccines is facing a challenge. The very sharp decline that we had, which was really good news, has now over the last few weeks plateaued at around 50, 55,000 new cases per day. That's a 30% drop from last month, but public health officials are worried about a new trend. In at least 15 states and Washington, D.C., cases have increased in recent weeks by 10 to 50%. It really is going to be a race between the vaccine and the, the potential surge. While the vaccine rollout is an American success story, the book is not fully written. Resistance and hesitancy could drag vaccine numbers down. Ten states are considering bills that would allow people to opt out of a vaccination or prohibit institutions from requiring them. We need to address vaccine hesitancy with regard to its roots. They need to hear these inf this information from trusted messengers. In the U.S., vaccine supply currently outbeats demand, but that could change as eligibility expands. On AstraZeneca, the U.S. is sitting on tens of millions of doses, even without approval. And this is the first time that the president has offered to share any any of its purchased vaccinations. Other countries have requested help, but no loan arrangements have been made outside of Canada and Mexico. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. 
Well, the strain the pandemic is having on mental health has an increasing number of British Columbians reaching out for help. The Crisis Centre of BC says call volume has increased more than 25% since February of 2020, with COVID-19 presenting challenges and changing most aspects of daily life. The centre says more people are willing to call crisis lines. But right now, demand for emotional support is outstripping budgets and more funding is needed if crisis centres are to help people post-pandemic. One of the things that we're looking at is really making crisis lines a, a, a core and integrated part of mental health services so that it has similar funding um, and support to other kinds of mental health services that will just make it more sustainable and allow us to, to gear up to really meet the demand. Still ahead on the news hour, putting a park where you'd least expect it. This would go under underneath. How North Vancouver's mayor is reimagining Highway 1. But first, the deepening divide between the province and Penticton over an emergency shelter. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Penticton's mayor is speaking out tonight after BC's housing minister announced the province will invoke its powers to override the city's bylaws and keep an emergency shelter open in Penticton for another year. Global's Shelby Tom has the latest on the housing saga and community reaction. Very, very disappointed and disgusted as heck. Penticton Mayor John Vasilaki isn't mincing words as the province announces it will ignore the city's wishes and keep operating this temporary shelter for another year. I'd like to beg the Premier to please talk to the Minister and cool him down. BC's housing minister stuck to his guns when grilled by the BC Liberals in question period Thursday. Penticton was shocked when this minister, instead of sitting down and having thoughtful and reasonable discussions about an issue that matters to the local Penticton Council and all British Columbians, he started to bully and threaten that if they didn't listen, it was his way or the highway. There are no good options here. I don't pretend that this was a good option or a solution to homelessness. It is a necessary decision. The city maintains that this is an inappropriate location for a homeless shelter given seniors housing in the area. And they argue it was always meant to be temporary. It's just the stigma and the judgment that people are being passed on. I get it. There's old people that live in these buildings and it doesn't look very good, right? But it's any shelter is like that. I think I'd rather have them in a shelter than camping in the park. Especially in these days, times. COVID. Some people need all the help they can get. But the city isn't backing down. The mayor says a legal challenge isn't off the table. We will enforce our bylaws to the fullest. We will not back down. Uh, my city council will not back down. This lawyer who specializes in municipal law says a similar challenge was launched in Nanaimo, but the Supreme Court ultimately ruled on the side of the province. Most people don't realize that the provincial government has not given entirely free reign on zoning power to municipalities. They have they've kept some of it back to protect their own provincial interests. For now, the ball is back in Penticton's court as the city weighs its options. Shelby Tom, Global News. Stay tuned. All right, time to check in with senior meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our weather forecast. When we talked to you at 5, we could hear the rain coming down, but now it looks a little better out there. 
Yes, I wouldn't say. I mean, I look off in the distance. There are some breaks off in the distance, and we actually did see a bit of blue sky today. But you're right; it was coming down at one point, and that's the pattern that we're going to see over the next little while—a bit of everything. So get ready for it. First, I want to show you some of your photos. Stunning sunrise right across all of BC, but in particular, it seemed like Vancouver Island. That one from Shimanas, one from Comox, and we have another one from Parksville, and one from Sydney, and I think we also have one from up in Prince George, which I'll show you. A little bit later, but thank you to everyone who sent in the photos. So, you know what they say red skies in the morning, sailors take warning. And today, what we saw is bands of rain. So, upper level low sitting just offshore. And what it's doing, it's sort of like a cinnamon bun. It's spreading waves of rain across our region. And that's why we can see breaks of blue sky like we did today, but we can also get heavy rain. And you'll note there's some lightning strikes in there as well. So, when we see that heavy rain, as we will on and off tomorrow, we also have the potential of a few lightning strikes strikes, maybe even a downpour of hail. This pattern is going to last right through until Saturday morning. Hopefully some breaks of blue sky, more consistent breaks of blue sky come Saturday afternoon. In the meantime, there's your Friday, everyone. Best chance to see sunshine will be in through the interior. You'll be in a little bit of a rain shadow effect, although you still have a risk of thunderstorms, but certainly for our region. Rain on and off, heavy at times with a risk of thunderstorms, and we'll see that through the early part of Saturday when we officially change over to spring, and we're hoping, yes, for some breaks of blue sky though late Saturday and I'll leave you with your central windows weather window Sophie another stunner and this one's from Prince George Trent Martin sending us that look at that with a mix of the clouds there as well pretty cool that is beautiful thank you very much Christy now a unique look at severe storms pushing across the southern United States NOAA the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration captured the dramatic explosion of storms, including these lightning strikes from the edge of space. In cloud, cloud to cloud, cloud to ground strikes, all tracked by a geostationary lightning mapper. The GLM, as it's called, flies in orbit about 35,000 kilometers above Earth's equator. Very cool. Very cool. We can't afford to get you one of those GLM mm-hmm. machines, Christy. Sorry. We have to use Noah's. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Fancy. That's equipment. all right. Yeah, Wouldn't it's you pretty love- cool. I saw that footage earlier. <laughs> Wouldn't you love just once, Christy, to do the weather from the space station? Uh, no. No? <laughs> She's thinking about it. I'm a wimpy when it comes to small spaces. All right. Oh, not <laughs> flying to space. It's I'm okay the small on, on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> All, All right, right. Squire. <laughs> Thought I'd check. What about you? You want to do the sports from the space station? Mm, no. That you don't re- like heights. I'm not a big fan of heights, and outer space really is heights. Um, the uh, Canucks' newest winger, Jimmy VC, is happy Vancouver grabbed him off of waivers from Toronto. You know, they're, they're right, right uh, in the playoff race, so I'm looking forward to this stretch run. One thing about VC, he can be a top six forward if necessary, and because of injuries, it may be necessary. And later, North Vancouver's mayor pitches an unusual idea where she wants to build a park that might surprise commuters. Three in March. March has been okay for the Canucks. Yes, it has been. March has been okay. The Ides of March have been okay. March is usually a month, you know, historically, it doesn't go well for some people. Uh, <laughs> but so far for the Canucks, it's been pretty good. Seven wins this month, despite always being outshot. 
So how are they winning? Well, 90% of the reason is Thatcher Demko, and the other 10% is Thatcher Demko. He is in that same zone as he was against Vegas last summer in the bubble playoff, or at least he's close to that level. His goals against average this month is 1.71, and his save percentage numbers are in a higher orbit than everyone else as well. In fact, we'll show you Demko's digits. There they are right there. Look at the save percentage compared to second place Marc-Andre Fleury, 951 right now. That's how the Canucks are survived without much goal scoring. Uh, if newest Canuck Jimmy VC shows as much hustle and determination on the ice as he did catching up with the team in Ottawa last night, then he might be okay. Uh, after Vancouver picked him up on waivers from the Leafs, he drove from Toronto to Ottawa to make it in time for last night's game, but a work permit issue kept him from playing. Jimmy VC is a what-have-we-got-to-lose pickup for the Canucks. His contract is small. It runs out this year. So if he doesn't work out, no big deal. And he has, uh, at times, shown he can score in the NHL, and the Canucks certainly need more goal scoring. When Jimmy VC does get to play beyond warm-up with the Canucks, he could get some top six time. Think of him as kind of like Jake Vertanen. A lot of promise before he joined the NHL. He won the Hobie Baker as a top U.S. college player in 2016. He's had his moments during his career where he looks like he's delivering on that promise, but he's not consistent, and that's why the Leafs put him on waivers. I guess in, in New York and uh, in Buffalo, I've, uh, you know, played stretches of games with, uh, with you know, their top six, so um, I always felt that, um, you know, when, I, when I'm on top of my game that I, that I belong there. Uh, I think for me it's just a matter of uh, consistency and being able to do that every night, and, um, you know, that's something I still am striving for. No, the other one. Okay, the golf tan is really good if you have a golf shirt on. Yeah, I don't know what's happening there. Sebastian Capel and... Pretty good. That's... One shoe. <laughs> well, he doesn't want his shirt to get wrecked. I get that. I understand. He didn't go in the water. Well, but he could get a big splash. Uh, Nick Taylor rolling in an eagle putt on 18 at the Honda Classic, 2 over 72. Adam Hadwin shot that as well. Merritt's Rogers slow getting TV time, but a 40-foot birdie putt will get you on the air. Uh, this is on the 16th. He shot a 1 over 71. Matt Jones is the leader from Australia at 9 under 61. Mackenzie Hughes is tied for 15th at minus two. Dennis Shapovalov in Dubai against Jeremy Chaudhry. After winning the first set, 7-5, tied at 4-4. Second set, Shapo gets the break. Chaudhry goes long. And then uh, Shapovalov serves for the match here. So he is on to the semis. And he'll face Lloyd Harris there. Okay, what is sad, what is really sad, is when you see a boy or a girl lose interest in sports because of pressure being heaped upon them by adults. Now a couple of young athletes who understand what that pressure can do and understand how to break that pressure are helping even younger athletes keep their love of sports as strong as ever. Remember we were here, what was it, six weeks ago, five weeks ago, we did that jumping? Owen McBride is only 20, but through his own experiences as an elite youth soccer player, became inspired to start his own private coaching company to put the fun back in fundamentals. What do you mean, ugh? That was perfect. The most common story right now and, and what I get from parents on a weekly basis is so-and-so has lost his passion for sport and through your guys' session has got it back. 
The Private Coaching Co. has only been around for three months, but words got around that this stable of coaches will not only improve a kid's skills, but they'll do it in an environment that is likely much different than the one with their school or club team. When a kid comes in, the first thing that I encourage myself and all of my coaches to do is create a connection that has nothing to do with sports. If a kid's wearing a Batman shirt, oh, you like Batman? I watched that movie. Because right then the kid's walls come down and we can then create a connection where, you know, we're actually engaging with the kid. They're looking forward to coming to practice. Well, that was excellent. That's perfect. We don't only talk about soccer and we talk about, like when we're stretching, we talk about school or anything that's happening outside of soccer. McBride grew up as an elite soccer player going through the Whitecaps Academy and is currently playing at SFU. Aaron Dawson is also an elite field hockey player with dreams of one day playing in the Olympics, but they both love paying it forward to the younger generation in a unique coach-player relationship. Friend base, but also coach authority level. We kind of find a happy medium where they can trust us and trust like our ideas and what they're telling us. But at the same time, we're here to train with them. It's really fun. She makes it like a really casual and like fun time. And like even while we're training, we can have like discussions. So it's really comfortable. It's like you're catching up with a friend. It's like checking in on them and everything. It's not just about sports. It's like how your life's going on outside of sports as well. McBride's vision has been a huge success so far. Right now, he's got a stable of about a dozen coaches in North Vancouver, and he's also got a vision to expand the company, province-wide, nationwide, and worldwide. When I'm watching all of our sessions happen and I'm noticing kids playing with a smile, that right there is the most rewarding thing that I can ask for, uh, and, it, and it really validates everything that we're doing. Nice. Quick feet around, quick feet. Good job, Marco, good job. That's awesome. See? Like Barry said, the fun is put back in fundamentals. Keep it fun. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Let's check in with Jordan Armstrong for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Sophie, some breaking news. The B.C. Supreme Court has struck down orders restricting outdoor protests but maintains the prohibition on in-person religious services. We'll have more on that. Also, more reaction from essential workers like bus drivers, taxi drivers and B.C. ferry staff who are not eligible for the early vaccine. As you heard earlier in the news hour, the Ferry Workers Union is furious. Plus, we'll tell you how much Surrey's new police chief will be paid and how much he could earn in potential bonuses. These stories and more tonight. Sophie? All right, we'll talk to you then. Thanks very much, Jordan. Up next, the proposal to put a park over the Upper Levels Highway. Stay with us. of North Vancouver City is floating an idea for a unique new park that she says would reunite a divided community. As Linda Aylesworth reports, she wants to put that park over the Trans-Canada Highway. The Trans-Canada Highway is officially open. It was the 1960s and the Trans-Canada Highway was paving the way for motor vehicles across the country. We started to see more and more freeways being delivered uh, through municipalities. And so when the Trans-Canada Highway came across, 
the North Shore, it divided the, the south and the north side of the city. In time, the Lonsdale overpass was built across the upper levels, but it just wasn't the same. It is a terrible walk, and I hear it over and over and over again. It doesn't feel safe. Your cars are right there. The sidewalk is very narrow. So North Vancouver City Mayor Linda Buchanan got an idea. Why not replace that nasty little overpass with something nicer? So my idea is, uh, you know, really that we, you know, we stitch together the north and south side and really look at creating a land bridge uh, by, by virtue of a park. The park would be roughly 400,000 square feet and extend about a block on either side of Lonsdale. It was an idea the mayor got from a similar project in the U.S. that took advantage of unused space along a riverfront. The Gathering Place in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's actually a beautiful park on top of a motorway. It's a brilliant idea of how to make park space. Looking down that to go to school was never very, never very fun, very busy with traffic, so I think having a little bit of green space would make that also easier. I think it's creative. Yeah, I mean, I mean if, it, if it's doable and it's, it's not too expensive, then go ahead. It's too soon to know how much the project would cost. It's merely at the idea stage. But I've had initial conversations with the Minister of Transportation, so I'm going to be following up with him and, and continuing those, and then at some point I'll, I'll bring it to my council. The road to approval can be a long one, but it doesn't hurt to try. I absolutely think it's possible, and I actually want to get us down to doing it. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Think big. What do you think, Christy? You spent a lot of time on the North Shore. Yes, and it's not too far from me, uh, that intersection. So I'd be all for it. That would mm -hmm. be fantastic because, as they were saying, the sidewalks are so narrow and we mm -hmm. hate riding our bikes across that area. So a park would be pretty nice. Okay, we'll give you the final word on weather. Sure. So you can see breaks behind me here, but they won't last long. Over the next 24 to 36 hours, rain at times, heavy at times, and a risk of thunderstorms also. Wow. They're ready for everything. Crossing fingers to see some bright spots. All right, that's all the time we have. Thanks for joining us tonight. Mm -hmm. Have a good evening, everyone.